It's the Locked on Canes podcast where it's all about the you. My name is Fred Purdue. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by my co-host Cam Underwood for another day of Canes talk. What's going on, Cam? Yo, what's going on? Good people listening, here hanging out, talking some Canes on a Wednesday. And uh, yeah, going to have some fun on the microphone. Let's get it. Definitely, definitely. So before we get into things, we're going to kind of get all the formalities out the way. We know how we do this every day, so let's let's keep it, keep the routine going. You know, everybody has a good routine, right? So make sure you go follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Canes. Make sure you go follow myself on Twitter at Fred Purdue CFB. And make sure you go follow Cam at Underwood Sports. So I think that is a the house cleaning for the day. So we have some news, some notes. Of course, we have... Uh, we have AJ Mathis, linebacker, decommitting from the U. Cam, you are our local resident Canes recruiting expert. What say you about this? Yeah, that was a move <clears throat> that uh, you know some said was already in the works. Others say it did not. This was not maybe as dictated as a Trayvon Riggins, who Miami had dropped you know a while ago. Um, but come hell or high water, AJ Mathis has decided to open up his recruiting and will probably go elsewhere. Um, and, you know, as a linebacker, that is, you know, not necessarily the greatest thing because, you know, Miami does need, like, numbers and quality at linebacker in this class. But there are options available. Keyshawn Green is a four-star that we talked about who's committed to Florida State, but Florida State still does not have a new head coach. So he is somebody that Miami is chasing after to potentially bring in for an official visit and make a move to get a flip. Also, Ruben Hippolyte is a local player from um, Hollywood MacArthur High School down in South Florida who's committed to Maryland, but um, he's a size and speed guy. He's like 6'1", 210, running in the 4'5s as a linebacker. Um, so he's a guy who could you know, replace A.J. Mathis and be an upgrade uh, on size and speed at that position, which would be great. Um, and then also, obviously, the you know elephant in the room is five-star All-American, number one linebacker, uh, number five overall player in America, Justin Flo, uh, who Miami has brought in already for an official visit. He's already been down for an unofficial visit previously. Uh, and, you know, most people believe that he's down to Clemson and Miami in that order for his recruitment, but Miami is still in the picture. So I'm not saying that, you know, A.J. Mathis was kicked out of this class to get specifically Justin Flo because it didn't matter who was committed in the class. If Justin Flo wanted to come, we're going to find a way to get him, you know, find the scholarship. But like I said, I just gave you three quality names, and Ruben Hippolyte, Keyshawn Green, and Justin Flo, who could potentially join this class to replace A.J. Mathis moving forward. So, you know, as always, we respect uh, the – prospects decisions you know wish them all the best moving forward but Miami has those options and probably others to try to fill that third linebacker spot in this class now we have of course we have uh the defensive side of the ball that is the future but what is the present is we have today is 12 years ago uh one my favorite player all time at the U and I and I will say that um was Sean Taylor he passed away 12 years ago after being shot in his home uh, and it just it sent shockwaves at the time uh, through the community, whether it was Miami, whether it was uh, the, the Washington team's community, everyone just he was a likable person. And again, like I said, my favorite player all time at the U. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a sad commemoration date, uh, you know, from the passing of Sean Taylor, who passed. I believe he was only 24 years old. Uh, you know, everybody pretty much knows the story. He was in his home. People tried to, you know, have a home invasion to rob him of his belongings. But he was there with his uh, either pregnant or just had a baby uh, girlfriend at the time. And 
uh, got shot and, and ended up passing away. So it's a, a melancholy note there. Uh, so, you know, we, we send up a prayer and remember Sean Taylor. And also, we didn't talk about this because uh, I thought it was maybe on a Saturday. It was a game day. But also, Brian Pata's murder was, uh, a, I want to say, near that time. I think it's been like 10 or 11 years for Brian Pata. Um, when he was killed and there has been no uh, arrest or anything, uh, you know, it might even be longer than that. It might be 14 years for Brian Potter. But either way, um, I still just send thoughts and condolences to the whole Potter family. And, uh, you know, um, Brian Potter's brother is actually on the staff at Miami now. Uh, so he had an interview uh, with... I forget who it was, which outlet. Maybe it was even just from Miami Athletics talking about that. But, you know, rest in peace to Brian Potter. And also on today, we remember uh, specifically Sean Taylor. Rest in peace to him as well. Now, we have one current player on the roster that is coming back. And we celebrate him almost every single show because he deserves that celebration. Uh, that is one. Because? Brother, because he is the, the best tight end uh, in America. That is Thank one. You. Brevin Jordan. He will be coming back from injuries. Uh, that he sustained earlier in this, a few weeks ago. And quite honestly, I have a few thoughts on that, but I'll let you kind of take this one first. Nah, you can you can have it. Basically, you know, Brevin Jordan's missed a couple games. Uh, the Louisville game, the bye week. I mean, he didn't miss the bye week, but, you know, whatever. And then the loss to FIU, you know, the worst loss in program history. Brevin Jordan hasn't played uh, in any of those, but he looks to come back and play in the season finale against Duke. My co-host, however, is salty about that. And Fred, you can detail your saltiness starting now. All right. So uh, I kind of lean with the NFL view of things. Um, while I am college football is my sport of choice, uh, roster management from their standpoint is where I kind of take things with this one. You are playing in a game where you are six and five, and you are playing in a meaningless game. This game is as meaningless as the days are long sometimes. And um, quite honestly, Brevin Jordan, sit this one out, please. Why? He's, com he's coming back for another year. He's a finalist for the Mackey Award. Obviously, Miami needs help to win this game to get the best bowl game possible. If he's healthy, I don't see any reason why he should be held out. I mean, if he's not healthy, don't rush back. But if he's healthy, why not play? Why not play? So, risk of continued injury. Uh, again, meaningless game. I mean, it, it, Miami's already accomplished the, the minimal goal for the season, make a bowl game. So you can get those 15 or so extra practices. So you've gotten all of – you finished at least one of those goals. Um, you're already a finalist for the, for the Mackey Award. You're probably going to win it anyway. I mean, just be, based off of name value, school value, which I'm not sure if that holds anything right now, but that's a whole other story for a whole other day. Uh, but I feel like just – Go ahead and sit this one out. Get completely healthy. Be ready for the spring. Uh, because while he is, he's coming off of injury, he's not 100%. Uh, Who's to say that he's not completely healthy, though? Like, where are, we, where, are we, where are we seeing that? You know, and, like, if you're, if you're going to not play this game for injury aversion, why play football at all? Because anybody and everybody on the field is one snap away from in look at Look at Amon Richards. He wasn't even a snap in the game. Look at, uh, at Malik Young. It was a kickoff return that wasn't even at the point of contact of the tackle. It was away from the ball. That was a career-ending injury for him. So, like, I mean, that could happen. To, that could happen today in practice. It could happen Saturday in the game. So, like, I don't. That's where I'm coming from, and this is honestly and true. Like, where, why not play if he's healthy enough? Because I don't think that the coaches would push him if he wasn't healthy. 
like I said, um, just it's a meaningless. It's really just a meaningless game. If you want to play in the bowl game, go ahead. But just a mean. How is that more? Mean, how does that? How does the, the bowl have the more meaning than this one? Sit out, and for me, I personally wouldn't. If, go ahead and sit out this one in the bowl game. Call it a day. We'll see you next season. Uh, it's nothing against him. Just he's the best player on your offense. I mean, that's just facts. He's the best player on. We thought for a while it might uh, Jaron might step up and challenge him for that, but he's the best player on your offense, and uh, you want him for why risk an injury for a guy that could is gonna come back and be your best player next year? Let him rest up, let him heal up completely, be ready for spring. We'll see you and, and make sure everything you have to do, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's on the field, whatever, make sure that's tightened up, but. For two meaningless games, one being an end-of-the-season game against a team that has no business being on the field with Miami if they are playing at their best, they have no business being out there with them. But also in a bowl game, uh, again, it's a meaningless bowl game. Go collect your rewards, whatever those are, gift cards or whatever, uh, whatever the I-don't-care bowl decides to give you in whatever location. Uh, no, no disrespect to those bowl games, but it's just it's a meaningless bowl game. No disrespect to those ball games, but like this is where we completely differ because yeah, that's an NFL mentality. Like those guys are getting paychecks and things like that. This is not that. So I mean, if you're going to hold Brevin Jordan out and he's healthy enough to play, then like why play anybody? Why not? Why travel to Duke then? Honestly, you know what I mean? Like that's a slippery slope that I'm not going down. And I get it if you know there's a professional athlete and they have a different thing but you know you're talking about oh i ascribe a professional roster management scheme to a college team and to me that's a completely uh, that's a complete mismatch it doesn't fit so i get that you feel that way and, and believe that but i nah that it, nope Mm-mm. and this only nope, goes for certain players like i would if it's the if it's let's say john campbell no 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 you gotta play but if you're why the- no 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 if, if if you're trying to be see no exactly and that's that's where that's where the, the favoritism comes it does but it's, it's favoritism but then that's that's where your mentality it fails because it, it is it is invalid on its face because if it is good for the goose it is good for the gander if you are doing this aversion to being injured or whatever holding them out for one person for one reason then it has to be the same for another person and that again to me is why the the mentality that you're espousing it. Go take that to Sundays. Go take that to Thursday night. You know, my Lions play tomorrow on Thanksgiving. Everybody tune in 1230 on uh, CBS and watch. Of course, thank you very much. But this is not that. So that's why I'm like, nah, 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 nah. If you want to do that for your favorite pro team, go ahead. But for the Miami Hurricanes, nah. If they're healthy, if they're healthy, play them. And you have to believe that the coaches staff and the 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 medical staff will not put somebody in harm's way and try to have them play when they're unhealthy. But do not... Yeah, I, I do not want to get in the habit of having healthy players just sit just because of some nah like outside mentality. No, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. nope. We disagree on that one, buddy. Well, we will definitely have to. That'll be a conversation we have for another day. Uh, but we do have a, a different conversation we will be having with a special guest. You'll find out who that is on the other side. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And now I'd like to bring on Manny Navarro, columnist from The Athletic, covering the Miami Hurricanes. What's going on, Manny? Long time no talk. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Fred. Definitely, definitely, man. Uh, Miami has gone through some, a catastrophic just 
are we at ground zero at this point? I mean, the memes, the social media stuff, not to mention the actual loss to FIU. What's the state of the program looking like right now? Yeah, man, it's really ugly right now in terms of public perception. I think Manny Diaz, he's trying to sort of put out the fire any way he can, but really the only way he can is by winning out and hopefully getting this team off to a great start next year because I think right now you you can't go back and erase what happened against FIU. You know, I, I found myself for the first time, you know, just kind of a side note, I found myself during this game just saying, you know, what am I watching? Who is this I'm watching? You know, my wife even is sitting at the sitting on the couch watching this game with me. And she's like, what happened? Is this the beginning of the season, Miami? And she's not even like a football person like that. So it's like when the people around you that aren't, they don't do what we do, they're noticing the problem. That's when you know it's panic alert time. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Everybody in South Florida saw what FIU did. My wife did as well. She's like, oh, my God, FIU beat UM, and she's not a sports fan at all. So uh, they, everybody knows what that defeat last week meant for this program. And I think, you know, the only way you come back from something like that, and I know Manny Diaz said winning national championships is really the only way people say this program is back. But I think he's got to finish with a strong recruiting class, He's got to win out, beat Duke Saturday, come back, win the bowl game, and show people that this was an aberration and just a really bad night for Jaron Williams in the offense and that, you know, this program can bounce back from it. Speaking of bouncing back, my, uh, Manny Diaz actually said that, you know, this team has an issue with arrogance and also accountability. Uh, what are some things that are going on in practices that maybe can help what are some of the things he's doing to kind of alleviate this problem? Well, I mean, really what's happening is, you know, these guys are just not focusing when they know they're a heavy favorite. I mean, they've they've lost three games after a bye week and three games as double-digit favorites. And I think what happens is these guys just show up and think, all right, well, this is FIU or all right, well, this is Central Michigan or – Georgia Tech, who's a bad team, and they don't come out with the kind of fire that they need to have to win those games. And, you know, the reality is, and I said this on 7 Sports Extra the other night, if you put Miami and FIU in all-white uniforms, all-white helmets, and you couldn't tell who was who, did anybody really stand out? Was there a single player that you said, yeah, that's a Miami guy? There wasn't. They're just, you know, so to me, talent-wise, there's not a lot of a lot separating Miami and FIU right now. And if talent-wise there's not a lot separating those two programs, then it has to be coaching, it has to be attitude, it has to be effort. And you just didn't see that against FIU. You didn't see that against Central Michigan. And ultimately, until you start recruiting the kind of caliber players that should be at Miami and coaching them up the right way and putting them in positions to succeed, Miami's never going to escape this mediocrity. And Manny Dewis ha has to basically start doing it by winning the games he's supposed to win. Because let's face it, if you're a big-time recruit, why do you want to go to Miami right now? I mean, this has been 16 years straight of crappy football. I mean, I know you had the 10-0 season a couple of years ago, and then, you know, that fell apart. So to me, you know, if you're a big-time recruit, 
you know, I know there's people out there dropping suitcases full of money for the elite kids in South Florida or whatever. But again, I think Miami's just sort of seen as a regular program, nothing special. These kids did not grow up with the championship Miami. And so really, unless they're watching a 30 for 30 movie, they have no idea that Miami was good because they haven't seen it in their lifetime. So Manny Diaz has to get back to winning 9, 10 games regularly, playing in the ACC championship. And until that happens, this program, there's really no roadmap back other than that. You know, I was actually – it's funny that you say these kids aren't growing up watching – they didn't grow up watching the, the championship years of Miami football. I was talking to a, uh, another reporter out on the West Coast earlier today, actually, and we were talking – he covers USC. And, you know, it was kind of the same thing, but just different coasts. I mean, both teams had very much similar successes at the same time, and um, they, they're having issues. And just kind of looking at the same – how things are going for both programs, it's really – uh, the kids are different. I mean, even just seeing how they under how they go about the recruiting process, they don't grow up. They don't grow up. As far as Miami is concerned, they don't grow up believing in this whole the the fence around South Florida. They don't believe in that. They say, "Who can give me the fastest track to the NFL, or who can get provide me with the most benefits?" And uh, it, it's a different culture compared to what these kids what it used to be in the heyday. It totally is. And I think, you know, really, you can, can you blame the kids in this city for wanting to go somewhere to play big time football? I mean, look, at the high school level, all of these kids are winning championships. They're playing on seven and seven on seven teams that go all over the country and win championships as well. So it's like if you're the best of the best, do you want to go play for the mediocre? That's, that's just not going to happen. And, and until Miami gets back to respectability where, you know, the assistant coaches are looked at like, man, these guys are going to be great coaches or they're on their way to becoming great coaches. Until you get to that point, it's going to be really hard for Manny Diaz and this program to win. And it's sad because obviously Miami has such a proud history. You have such a great backyard. You think about, man, if all these kids could just get together on the same team, they'd win national championships. In the end, there's none of that happening. There's no sort of unification of we all got to go to the U and make the U great again. No, it's really about what can I do what's best for me. And it's hard to blame these kids who grow up in tough neighborhoods, have financial struggles, all those things, to say, I'm going to pass on, on you know a handout from a big-time SEC school or Big Ten school to go make the U better when there's no connection. I mean, you have to have some coaches on staff who maybe are from the neighborhood or you know, these kids can have really good relationships to sort of convince them to come down to Miami. And I'm not sure that you have that on the staff right now. You know, when you, I know you spoke of relationships with kids. It's the one saving grace I think Rand, one Randy Shannon had. He could connect more than anyone being a former player, coming from the same neighborhoods, going to the same schools. He could relate to these kids. A lot of these kids now, they transfer to these bigger high schools, and that's how they're able to win those championships, and they're expecting to win. Um, and when you speak of coaches do you and coaching, do you foresee any changes as far as uh, assistants on the staff, coordinators on the staff? Yeah, I mean, I would think that Manny's going to evaluate everything at the end of the season and sort of look at, all right, where – where could I really upgrade? You know, one thing you have to remember in all this is that uh, 
these coaches like Manny, for instance, he's it's about relationships. It's about guys that he knows who are willing to come here and coach and maybe get paid less than at another university to come to Miami. And, you know, that's one thing when you hire a rookie head coach. Manny Diaz has been in this business a long time, but he's only been a defensive coordinator. So it's not like he's been at this for 10, 15 years as a head coach and has these relationships and all these different assistant coaches that have worked with him. So he doesn't have that as sort of a background to build off of. He's coached at Middle Tennessee State, Louisiana Tech, uh, Texas for a little while, but it's not like he, I don't know, has these great relationships everywhere where, you know, he's going to be able to easily convince a coach to come join the staff when, you know, this is going to be the eighth year in a row potentially where, or not the eighth year in a row, but the eighth, year in the last 15 years that Miami could have six losses so I mean there's a lot of pressure here to deliver uh, there's not a lot of big paychecks and it's a tough tough area to recruit because everybody in the country comes here so I, I wish people would sort of remember that that this is a tough job that Manny Diaz has uh, for all of those reasons do you think maybe in Manny Diaz's situation kind of being tag team with um, with Mark Rick at the time a couple years ago do you think maybe if they put a plan a plan in place where he Manny Diaz may have been the head coach in waiting in a situation where Mark Rick's a little bit more up in age, maybe that would have helped out a little bit more because he would have had a, a bit of a mentor type of situation or even that type of situation doesn't necessarily work because some guys just stay – some head coaches stay too long. Yeah, it's hard to say, Fred. I mean, really, I mean, I think Manny Diaz was ready to make the jump. The problem is most coaches don't make the jump at places like the University of Miami. Getting a Power 5 job as a rookie head coach is very, to me, it, it it's uncommon. I mean, at least at championship-winning Power 5 programs, you know. So I think Manny probably needed to go to Temple for a few years, really learn um, how to be a head coach, learn the difficulties of it. You know, to me, the biggest thing, the biggest mistake I think Manny made was I think he thought hiring Dan Enos and fixing the quarterback room was going to be sort of solve all of Miami's problems, when in reality there were many more problems to deal with. I mean, you look at the offensive line, you look at the receiver room, I mean, some of the attitudes of these players like Jeff Thomas and just different guys they've had problems with. And it, it was a much bigger problem than just, hey, let's fix the quarterback position. And I think, you know, he kind of thought this, this program was going to have a lot more success right away. And so he was sort of came out of the you know gate pounding his chest saying we're the new Miami and we're going to recruit like badasses and we're going to flash our turnover chain and our touchdown rings and everybody in America is going to love us. Well, the way you get people to fall in love with you is by winning on Saturdays and winning big and playing in big games, not celebrating, you know, touchdowns and turnovers. Uh, and I think I think he maybe overestimated how hard this job was going to be or underestimated how hard this job was going to be. And I think that's what happens with the rookie head coach. You learn as you go. And I think Manny Diaz learned a hard lesson this season. Yeah, I think he did learn a bit of a hard lesson. It's a tough job to do. Uh, one thing that is not tough to do is your coverage of uh, everything Miami sports. I've been a fan of your work for a long time, Manny. It is always great to have you on. And we always want you on anytime you're whenever you have a little bit of extra time for us. Um, <laughs> Before we get you out of here, man, uh, let the folks know where they can find you and plug some of your work. Yeah, well, definitely you could follow me on Twitter at Manny underscore Navarro. And uh, I write for The Athletic. I have a podcast as well. You can look up our podcast, the, White, the Wide Right Podcast. I have a Twitter page for that as well. So uh, you can find us on Apple and 
wherever else you download your your podcast. Man, it was great having you on, man. We will definitely be talking to you as the, as recruiting season kind of puts an early bow on it and at the end and uh, going into the off season. All right, Fred. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. So after we talked to Manny, Manny Navarro from The Athletic, it was great having him on. Uh, we have a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a perspective we have now for uh, what's been going on with this team and how things are going to change uh, or should change. I mean, Manny Diaz is um, he, he is a young coach and unfortunately he's having to learn on the ropes and uh, it was again, it's going to be something that we're going to have to kind of work with him on and kind of deal with Cam. I don't know. We talked about this earlier, but you know, are you ready to kind of go down that road one more time, just kind of waiting it out and seeing what happens? I'm ready for whatever, whenever. Okay, so um, I may not be. Uh, we'll kind of, and we. I guess we can. If can we take a minute for that? Because I might have a little bit of a. I know you get on your your soapbox a little bit, um, but I, I got a little bit of a, a little bit of an extra little piece I want to add on to that. We got a little bit okay. of time for an audible. We can audible it. All right. So let's I mean, go. we can because Jaron Williams still sure won't. Oh, oh. Oh, shots fired! I, I didn't say shots that. fired. Jared, Shame. I, if All you're that. Listening, I didn't hear. I didn't say that. You can. I did. Me. Cam Underwood at oh. me. Underwood Sports. Oh. Holla. Oh, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Um, but talking about our our one and only head coach Manny Diaz, um, you know, we were talking when, when me, uh, myself and Manny Navarro were speaking about this program and Manny Diaz. The one thing that is missing when it comes to this whole recruiting thing is that. There's no one on this staff that connects to these players, you know, like a lot of the former coaches, like a Randy Shannon. It was probably the only thing he really did really well. He could connect because he came from the same areas, the same high schools. He played at the same school. He had success at this school. And he went on to do other things. So, you know, when I look at how this roster is concerned, uh, this coaching staff is being constructed, you gotta infuse your your uh, your coaching staff with some some relatable pieces. I get that you're a young guy and you're trying to figure it out as you go, but surround yourself with people that can can connect to the kids because it is the lifeblood of the sport, recruiting that is. And if kids are saying, "I'm going to Ohio State because I don't want to take a chance on the U," or "I want to go to Clemson because I don't want to take a chance on the U," because I don't want to go with a rebuilding project, and none of these people I can relate to because now you are no longer you didn't I didn't grow up with the the days of Antrell Roll, the days of Jerome Brown, the days uh, of Melvin Bratton, where these guys were just killing it. You know, they dominated the sport. Yeah, it, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, you have to have that kind of support system that you need. Who's old on the staff? Todd Stroud and Butch Berry. Maybe Dan Enos is like middle-aged in his 40s. Other than that, you got a lot of young coaches. Eric Hickson, pretty young. Mm-hmm. Taylor Stubblefield. Okay, Stephen Field is in his 40s, but... I mean, he's from South Florida. He played and coached at Miami Northwestern. You try to tell me that that guy can't recruit? He was in the recruiting office at FAMU and at Louisville and was uh, at Oregon in the recruiting office and on field as a coach. That guy has made his living being able to relate to guys. You know, so Todd Stroud, like I said, he's older. But, you know, Butch, uh, sorry, uh, Blake Baker, young. 
Ephraim Bonda, young. Jonathan Packey, young. Mike Rumpf, relatively young in his 30s. Like, we're, 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 this is not a, a, t- a staff of octogenarians at all. You know, and like you, you hear these recruits saying that, oh, I connect to, you know, guy and guy and guy and guy. Could it be better? Could you have like a knockdown ace, ace, ace recruiter who like, you know, when they show up, okay, your days are numbered and you need as an opposing team to go somewhere else and find another prospect? Yeah, you might want to do that. But to say, oh, you know, like we don't have relatable guys, I don't necessarily believe that to be true. I think that maybe they're not relating to the guys that they're recruiting, which means maybe they need to look at the process of who they're recruiting and how they're trying to connect. But I don't see this as a staff completely full of unrelatable guys at all. Uh, again, like I said, for, and, and we're all entitled to those, to those opinions about this, this staff. I personally, I will say this. Um, Manny Diaz was not my first choice. I'll go ahead and put that out there. I know – Miami doesn't have the money to go get the guy, the guy I wanted. Uh, I'll keep that guy kind of. Which was I, who? I'll keep that under wraps. I don't want to. I don't want to take that too far. Um, you scared? Oh, I'm scared. Oh, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, because you can go out here and say, "Oh, oh, he not my number one." But I'm not going to tell you guys who that. <laughs> Man, nah, whatever, bro. All right, nah. all right so I'll tell you my who, who I wanted. Who I wanted was Kirby Smart from the beginning, before Mark Rick ever came, before any of the staff was here. I have been. It's a. It, it has nothing to do with the relatability or any. It was simply X X's and O's on the defensive side of the football. The aggressive nature that his defenses come with. Now, granted, if we just let's just so let's play. Let's just kind of play hypotheticals, and we can kind of do that real quick before we move on to to Duke a little bit. Um, what I see on offense from that from that team up in Georgia. Mm, but what I do see from on defense is a smothering defense that is an aggressive bunch. They're even more aggressive than uh, than what Manny Diaz brings, and he's a hell of a recruiter. And I think there's a difference when it, when you have a guy that is is kind of he's won those championships. He can bring that pedigree in because let's be real, Manny Diaz has no no hardware to show. Hey, I've won this. This is what we do. This is my this is my philosophy. Kirby Smart kind of has that. He has that. All of that. Now, granted, being a head coach, he didn't have that. That's where they kind of are the same. But when you have that pedigree of winning, you can bring that down pretty much anywhere uh, as far as that's concerned. He was my – he was my – long before Mark Rick ever was a consideration piece. I had one. So you're talking 2015 when Al Golden got ran up out the paint. Yeah, yeah. The second Al Golden got pushed out, I said, I want Kirby Smart. Whatever you got to do to pay him, pay him. Okay. And I've been, and I'll stick, and I'll stick with that until I don't care. He's one of the few coaches I actually champion in this whole NCAA thing. There's about three coaches that I would take tomorrow. Um, one, and I've always said I'd I, recently I've said I'd make a deal with the devil. I don't know if I'm willing to do that. That was a reactionary thing after FIU. Um, one Urban Meyer. I hate saying that because I, that is a complete deal with the devil. Knowing the scandal that comes with him, knowing the problems that come with him, but also knowing the winning that also comes with him and the spread offense that comes with him. One thing that you would love to see, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, the staff that would come with him. But do you really want the problems that would come with one Urban Meyer and him leaving with uh, you? He's going to have a something wrong with him or something happened when the quarter, your star quarterback's gone. 
mm, but for those five years, those five years, you're going to be Miami would be on a whole nother level. So uh, that's another we can play hypotheticals later. We got to talk. Duke. We definitely got to talk. Duke. So uh, we have a Duke. We have a Duke team coming up that this this team has no business being on the field with us. Right. So but we made this mistake last week and we got our, our doors blown off by one FIU. I will not be saying that ever again. So make sure you have that recording and make sure you you save that because I won't say that ever again. It is on to Duke. Uh, so what say you about this Duke team? What does anything about this team scare you? The fact that Miami has shown time and time again that they won't play to their capabilities. You know, Miami will play down to or below the level of the opponent. Now, Duke is four and seven. They're one and six in their last seven games. They blew out Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech 45 to 10. That was the week before Virginia Tech came down here to Miami and saved their season because, you know, we turned the ball over a billion times and spotted them a 28 nothing lead. But after that is the record that I told you, six or one and six in their last seven, with that win being against Georgia Tech, who again beat Miami. So is. Is there cause for concern because there is a living, breathing team on the other side of the ball? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, should I be talking about this? Should it really even be a consideration at this point? No. But Miami decides, has decided, and this is proven over the course of time this year, that you cannot take anything for granted, a single snap or a single game, because apparently what we all say in the, you know, ether around this team, they internalize. So if I sit here and say, oh, we should win by a million, apparently by osmosis that seeps into the brains of everyone on this roster who wears, you know, orange and green. So um, is there something that I should be concerned about? Yes. The fact that Miami is playing a game and they have proven that they will go and lose a game anytime, anywhere. You know, when I think of this team, I think of the fact that Miami is, is a touchdown favorite in this in this game and yet I'm scared that, again, this Duke team came in and kind of beat Miami last year uh, and, and did so quite handily. Um, now, granted, they had some quarterback they thought they were – that was a – they allegedly – he's alleged. Well, he's factually now, I guess. Uh, he, by talent level, they say he was a first-round pick. I don't know. I'm not going into that. But Daniel Jones threw about three picks that should have been picked off, and, well, they weren't. So, um, but they don't have Daniel Jones anymore. And quite honestly, I fit, the only thing I fear is maybe Miami not getting up from for this game simply because it's the last game of the season. They know they're getting a bowl game. They know good and well. Um, they have a long off season to get healthy. They have a long off season for they have a few extra practices to get right. Uh, I fear that maybe Manny Diaz says, "Okay, we're gonna really start instituting these new things that." we say we're going to do so like we're going to go put young guys in for no reason for what you know just because a guy doesn't to get make- game experience because well, like this I is call not it a game experience too i take that i'll take that this is not a terminal thing like it is not yes that loss was the worst loss in program history the program is not ending like it is not the end of the world like literally it is not a time horizon that we are done playing football like, I am as angry as anyone that we lost that game to FIU. But life goes on, and the sun has come up tomorrow a couple of times past that. So you have to move forward. Now, you can move forward and lose. You can move forward and give a half-ass effort. You can move forward and not care about it. But you cannot just live on that day 
anymore of when Miami lost to FIU. So, like, that, that's where, like, you can't do it. You cannot do it. And, yes, Miami might go to Duke and lose this game. You know, if, you know, if it's not even a far stretch of the imagination because we've seen Miami play terribly enough where they can lose these games. But to say, oh, like, oh, for what? Oh, for who? Uh, because there's going to be another game. Because there is another season upcoming. Like, we have to move forward. Even if we're still angry about what happened, you have to look forward to what's in front of us. I'm not going to be that kind of defeatist. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to say woe is us. At the end of the day, those guys are on scholarship too. And quite honestly, it would be lovely to see Miami just go out and say, we're going to – we're going to grow a pair, and uh, we're going to kick you in the face. And it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, we're going to impose our will. You are Duke. Rem- remember who you are. Remember, to, uh, we're going to put you back in your place. And things will be back to the way they are. I don't want to see a Miami miracle ever again. I hate seeing those last second, oh, we're going to figure it out at the end and hope something miraculous happens. No, I need to see a Florida State-type dominance uh, from that offensive line. I if the off the offensive line is going to take this team where it wants to go, so put the onus on it. That's what the co- the coaches have to do. Put the pressure on the players and say, "Look, playing time is up um, for grabs right now." If you w- we have no problems putting. I mean, this game's again meaningless essentially. It's what's the difference between seven and five and six and six? It doesn't really matter. It does. It's not like it's going to determine if you're going to go to go get a title, an ACC title, or you're going, or it's God forbid, even be in a national championship conversation, or even be ranked at all. So look, it, it, I'm not going to say have a super short leash, but if guys are committing penalties, yank them, just yank them. Yeah, but you you got to practice winning it sometime too. Again, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm as mad as anybody. But we play to win the game. And it's not just going to be a free-for-all. So if you're talking about, oh, well, for why? Because if, we, if we're going to eventually win anything of consequence, whether that's the ACC Coastal, whether that's another game against Florida State, whether that's, you know, whatever, you got to learn how to win. Mm-hmm. And this is a game that you can go win. The bowl game is a game that you can go win. Through adversity, with turnovers, with penalties, drop balls, holding calls, whatever it is, come hell or high water, you find a way to win. And even, and I think that this is, I mean, yes, this is a, a bad scenario to be in, but it offers the opportunity to do that without many people watching. Because trust, none of the national people are watching anymore. So this is the work that you're doing in the dark, the work that you're doing when people are not watching. That is a ten, tenet of integrity. How you conduct yourself when no one is watching. This is that time. So there are reasons. There are goals. There are things to be accomplished. No, we're not winning the Coastal. No, we're not going to have an 8-4 and four season even. No, we're not going to have any of those things. But what we can do, and it sounds like coach speak, and it is a lot of times when they say it because they are deflecting from other things. You know what we can do this week? We can go 1-0 against Duke. And at this point of the season, that is going to be a monumental achievement. Because last week, we went 0-1 against FIU. This one will be a very interesting one to see where the, where the, the mentality of these players are. And we'll definitely kind of keep a hold an eye on things come Saturday. So, um, we'll be tomorrow uh, will be a bit of a short show. Uh, it's Thanksgiving, so 
Uh, we'll be telling you, we'll give you an idea of what we're thankful for. Your, my response may be a little bit surprising, but we'll hold on to that one until Thursday. And then, of course, Friday, we'll break this whole Duke thing down, give you three keys to victory for Miami as well as predict bowl predictions. So make sure you stay tuned to the show. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnCanes. You can find me on Twitter at, at FredPurdueCFB. You can find Cam on Twitter at Underwood Sports. Hey, um, go get him. Don't come at me just saying just saying. I don't want the smoke. Not this week. Maybe next week when the offseason comes. And uh, But make sure you also let us know what you what, what are you guys interested in for the, the offseason. I know this is uh, it's, it's fastly approaching. We have one. We actually have technically two games, but uh, bowl season is upon us. Do we want how much of how, do we want to go revisionist history? Uh, do you want to hear draft talk? What do we, what are you guys interested in? Let us know. Use the hashtag uh, locked on LOC future. And we'll kind of we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of go from there and see what you got, what we can get you guys out going into the offseason. So um, for myself, for Cam, we're kind of putting a bow on this season very quickly. Uh, this is the Locked on Canes podcast. It's all about the you and go Kane.